Welcome to the Dead Celebrities Podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenick. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the latest episode of the Celebrity Estate Planning Podcast, presented by WealthManagement.com. My name is David Lennon, and I'm a senior editor with Wealth Management and Trust in Estates. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a single celebrity estate, be it a planning snafu, a familial fight, or even just a good example of the power of proper planning. And from that high-profile and often ridiculous example, myself and a guest attempt to boil down the example to some lessons that advisors can use with their more typical clients. Uh, the idea being that celebrity estates, though the details are often more bombastic, generally face the same obstacles and issues as those of regular people, just with the volume turned up and making them interesting and valuable case studies. Uh, today's guest is Michelle Smith, and Michelle is the CEO and founder of Source Financial Advisors. In addition, she's also one of the most sought-after divorce financial specialists in the country. She's a holder of the Certified Divorce Financial Analyst Credential and is a divorce mediator. A regular contributor to national and financial media, Michelle is co-author of the book, Divorce and Your Finances. Thank you for joining us. Oh, and she has a lot to say about women and money. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Michelle. Thanks for having me. You know, our main topic today is, is women taking the reins of their financial lives, as you could tell from my... Uh, very slick insertion there, be it because of death, divorce, or it's simply being time. And the celebrity who's going to take us there is the wealthy, glamorous, and multifaceted Gloria Vanderbilt. Um, unusually for this podcast, you know, we're more focused today on her life than her death, but have no fear, you know, we'll return to our morbid roots soon enough. Gloria Vanderbilt was an American artist, actress, author, and financial designer who very recently passed away at the age of 95 as a result of stomach cancer. She was the great-great-granddaughter of the railroad tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt. And tycoon is such a fun word, but you so rarely actually get to use it in a sentence. Um, Vanderbilt had lived in the public eye basically all of her life. Uh, she was initially dubbed the poor little rich girl by tabloids in the 1930s, thanks to a very public custody battle waged by her grandmother and aunt against her birth mother. She had a bevy of high-profile relationships, including the likes of Frank Sinatra and Marlon Brando. She's the original queen of New York society, and it's rumored that her friend, Truman Capote, based Breakfast at Tiffany's Holly Go Lightly on her. Um, Vanderbilt's 30s and 40s were marked by four marriages and the tragic death of one of her children by suicide. But despite being a member of one of America's most notoriously wealthy families, and an heiress to her father's fortune, or whatever remained after he gambled away most of it. She also built her own empire. She maintained various gigs as a model, actress, and artist, and wrote numerous articles, novels, poems, and memoirs throughout her life. Her big break, however, came in the form of designer denim, which was having a major moment in the 1980s. After folding a dress business and going to work for Indian designer Mohan Murjani, Gloria proposed to launch a line of jeans for the brand, embroidered with her signature and Swan logo, on learning that the corporation had access to excess denim fabric sitting in a factory in Hong Kong. 
Leveraging her name and socialite status, she modeled the collection herself. The line took off and became the highest-selling denim brand, reportedly generating some $100 million annually, and earned Gloria some $17 million in profits between 1978 and 1984. Other apparel and the perfume line also followed. A Nine West Holdings acquired the rights to her name in 2002, and the Gloria Vanderbilt jeans line still exists today, though uh, likely nowhere near as profitable as the ranges are now offered at the discount chains like JCPenney and Costco. Uh, so, Michelle, there's an awful lot to unpack there, but are, what are some lessons we can glean from Gloria Vanderbilt's story that advisors can use to help their more typical female clients take their financial lives by the horns? Oh, a couple of things. Um, I think the first thing that everybody has to understand is Money can be a foreign language to women if they haven't had the control, and it's not made particularly engaging or exciting. And talking about your estate plan, you also have to talk about what's happening when you're dead. And so we've got to really make uh, an effort, a conscious effort to make money and very serious things such as your estate plan for after you're gone, engaging and clear right? Engaging and clear is very important to women. It's, it's understanding things in their terms aligned with their values. And you could sit down with the most competent, technically competent legal uh, estate planning expert in the world. And if they start the conversation with tax savings, there's already eyes gloss over. It's not about tax savings. That's a byproduct of the process. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned uh, that these are particularly important things to express to women. Do, do, do women sort of have particular ways that things need to be expressed to them differently than men? I mean, or what do financial advisors, I mean, I think financial advisors are by and large more heavily used to dealing with men. Oh, yes. And they have certain techniques that they've been using their entire careers. Yeah. Um, where do those, I guess, go wrong when you're trying to? to well, I mean, I think that you just have to understand all people are different. Mm. Everybody has a different communication style. It's reading body language. It's understanding. It's listening. You know, if people in general are using words constantly in a conversation with you, like I feel, here's my sense. They're telling you that they're intuiting things. Maybe they're not, you know, auditory, visual, they're intuiting. So they're going to respond to you expressing how think, how this plan is going to make them feel and what it's going to do to make them feel comfortable. So it's listening uh, to all people and how they are responding and watching for body language. Where are you losing them? Why did you lose them? Stop the conversation right there and say, I sense I just lost you. What happened? Right. And so uh, women may take a little bit longer to make decisions. That might be frustrating, but it just is what it is. And we all have to, you know, understand that there is a massive demographic shift happening here with women and money in this country. We're in the middle of it. You know, I feel like I've been talking about this for 20 years and bam, here we are. All of a sudden, the X chromosome is super popular. <laughs> it's very in fashion. Very in vogue. <laughs> so lucky I was born this way. <laughs> so, you know, there's many ways, I think, different things that could, that could drive this, this need to sort of take the bull by the horns, so to speak. In just Gloria Vanderbilt's story, she had, we had four divorces, uh, several high-profile deaths. Divorce is one of your big specialties. Yes. What All you, marriages end. <laughs> so what do you see with, with the people who come into you, that the mistakes they make and the most common things that 
and you could easily rectify it if you just knew what to look for. I think having communication about your money during your marriage is critical. Mm -hmm. It is one thing to willingly, with eyes wide open, say, I don't enjoy this and I don't want to deal with the finances. It's different to do it with eyes wide open, though. You've got to know. You don't want to learn money in a crisis. You don't want to learn money if you're going to be in a custody battle. You're going to have to do everything, initiation by fire. That is no way to learn by drinking water out of a fire hose. So everybody, you should at least know, make a conscious decision at least. If you're willing to say, I'm not going to do the money stuff. I'm going to do everything else. I'm going to run the household. I'm going to run other things in this marriage. Do it at, by at least understanding where your money is. What am I signing at 11 o'clock at night on this tax return, right? Tax returns look scary. They're not. They're just a little roadmap to assets and income. Understand how the marriage is getting paid, regardless of who's earning the income. Understand where that income is going, both how you're spending it, how you're saving it. And I still see far too much women land in my office and they only have a small checking account in their name, which may have been their allowance. <laughs> their week-to-week daily working capital. And while the law may not care how something is titled, you can't call your financial advisor if your name is not on an account and say, you know how he just took $100,000 out last week? Send me my 100 if the account's not in your name. Well, you've mentioned uh, communication has already come up a couple of times, and I, I'm going to imagine it's going to come up a couple more. I have to imagine if someone's coming into your office uh, in the throngs of a divorce, that maybe communication is kind of an issue in that relationship. Uh, communication's an issue in every relationship. <laughs> what, what, when we're talking over each other or not talking, I mean, that's what makes relationships fail, business relationships too. Not having good, healthy communication, letting communication become toxic that's what kills relationships and marriages. And if you think your communication is going to get better than it was in the marriage during your divorce, it's going to get amplified. And so I always say how to kind of avoid this train wreck. It's sort of like, okay, what would I tell my daughter about her money now that I've been in the train wreck? You know, don't be afraid to have the money conversation. Mm -hmm. It's actually a sign of a really healthy relationship to be able to sit down and say, I'd like to understand, right? And for the person who is controlling the money, maybe that'll feel a little threatening. Maybe that'll feel like, what do you mean? You don't trust me. You all of a sudden want to know where everything is. Maybe there is something to hide. You have to understand it. It doesn't mean you want to take the power away from somebody who might be really good at it, but not in a vacuum. And this, a lot of these themes, it seems, are uh, very similar to what makes a prenuptial agreement valuable, right? And just, and obviously it's valuable in that it's, it's setting terms for how things are going to go, but also more so what I'm talking about is that it forces you right up front to have that conversation. Yeah. And it's just like, we're doing this right now. We're doing this right now. And you know, prenup isn't a dirty word yeah. and you get to choose to scrap your prenup, by the way. What people don't realize is that, you know, that's a piece of paper that you hope you'll never have to pull out. But if you do pull it out, you can, no judge is going to make you keep in agreement with the prenup terms if the two of you decide that 20 years later, it's unconscionable mm -hmm. based on, but you know, women don't realize 
it also protects you. If you want to go start a business, if you're coming in with kids from another marriage and he has kids, this can be a really protective document on the children that you may not have kids with this new husband. You may not want your money going to his kids. You may not want your money going to his third wife. And so prenups are a springboard for a way to talk about money, period. And I, I think, uh, especially with a lot of relationships where the, your, people are coming in with, with unequal amounts of assets, um, a lot of times the advisors will just default to being the advisors of the wealthier person. Well, they so don't that, want to lose an account. Exactly. That, that, that prenup, you know, the woman in question probably doesn't realize because that prenup went directly into this lawyer, into his lawyer's Absolutely. drawer, and she never saw it again. So there is some value, or a lot of value, in having realizing that your advisors are your advisors, both of you. Yeah. And not just, it's not just his lawyer and his financial advisor. It's our lawyer. Absolutely. Our financial advisor. Absolutely. And you have to form, you know, and there has to be some work done both on, on both parties' parts to sort of form a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, uh, sometimes the women can feel that they sort of have to sign this prenup or they're going to appear greedy if there's inequity in the amount of assets you're coming into a marriage with. And it's not about being greedy. It's about understanding what you're signing and how life changes every year, let alone 10 or 20 years down the road. And, you know, I, I had a situation last year where this couple ended up with two severely special needs children. What was signed 15 years ago was, is unconscionable now because she couldn't work. She could, she had to stay home. So why was it fair that she was locked in? You have to talk about what if. So I say, if you can approach money conversations with your significant other and say, let's just play what if. What if you die? What if I die? What if we have special needs children? What if something happens to one of our perfectly healthy children in a car accident? What happens if we don't talk about the what ifs? It's a really great launch because it can be scary to bring up a money conversation if you're like already have a controlling spouse or a controlling boyfriend. It's hard. It's like you don't want to be viewed as that woman who's either not trusting or greedy or calling somebody incapable of doing it. There's ways to bring this up to ease yourself into the conversation. How important is the financial advisor in facilitating this? How much role should they be playing? Should they be pushing for this or should they just be greasing the wheels or is it it's just different? You know, it depends on who you want as the client. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that's actually uh, an interesting way to put it. It's, it's honest. Mm -hmm. And for the clients that have an advisor, you better understand if you're the client or if you're not. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, I have, you know, I'm, I'm in this business going on three decades, you know, I'm coming up on my 30th year in this business. And I, there are plenty of advisors who say, you know, they just, they're going to focus on the male client who earns the money because that's always going to be the client and that's their referral source. And there's no shame in that, but be honest about it. Don't pretend to be there. And what women hate, what female clients hate, is all of a sudden, towards the end of the divorce, the guy is calling her going, we should really sit down and help you make sure you're going to be okay when this is over. That is middle finger both hands. It's also questionable if that's even the best long-term business approach, right? I mean, there's the old adage that women inherit twice, right? Yes. Yeah. 
So once, you know, from the husband and once from their parents. Absolutely. So, you know, ultimately, and that's, I think, how a lot of, you know, both women getting more opportunities and through sort of that fact that women live longer. Yeah, I mean, I, kind of I, I think... we're seeing this wealth shift that's pretty soon. Absolutely. You know, if not already, they're going to, women are going to control the majority of wealth in this country. A- absolutely. It's happening. It's happening. So that's, a, you know, it's maybe it's a question of that, you know, advisors should maybe take another look at who's my client as who's making the money now isn't maybe not ultimately going to be who ends up with all the money. And I also think advisors have to realize when your joint account ends up in a divorce and you've only been talking to one party, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that could be a legal problem. And there are lawyers and forensic accountants looking at every single statement back seven years, as long as they can grab paper copies to see what kind of decisions were people have signed things call me crazy but people have signed other people's names on tax returns on letters of authorizations journaling money opening accounts that maybe one spouse doesn't know about you have to really this is your career and this is your reputation 50% of marriages are going to fail which means at least one quarter of your joint accounts are up for legal observation and as you mentioned, all relationship marriages eventually end. All you know, marriages end. We're talking end. about divorce a little bit thus far, but I mean, uh, you know, a sudden death is can be equally as big a wake up call. We were well, we were talking before we went on the air um, about my own mother's a little more Dave Lennick lore for you guys. You know, who my father died suddenly at age fifty five, and he was a CPA, so he was really just by the nature of it in charge of the finances. And I was twenty three in law school. You know, and my mom, all of a sudden, she doesn't know anything about this. She's an educated woman, college educated, but she just wasn't clued into a lot of this stuff. And she's looking at me to help her. And she's like, Mom, <laughs> I can't help you. You know, I'm more helpless in this than you are, really. You know, that really put the onus on her to sort of take charge. And to her credit, she really did. And I mean, we're 10 years down the line now, and she is like a different person. You know, to see her sitting there yelling at the financial advisors, it's like, who is this? It is. I I say this to women all the time. You may not feel it in the moment, but when you get on the other side of the chaos and the confusion and the lack of transparency to the confidence and the clarity of getting it and owning it, it's life transformational. I I say I'm in the life transformation business for for me. You know, it's why I trademark from wife to CFO. Mm -hmm. That transformation is palpable. It's visible. It's usually nine months at the nine month mark. You really see someone stepping into their power, but it is un, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable transformation. But thus far, we've kind of talked about, you know, obviously the you know, prevention is the best cure, you know, so the doomsday prepper scenario. Um, sadly, that's not always how it works out. So if you're an advisor to a client or if you're a client who experiences all of a sudden the sudden separation, be it through death or be it through other circumstances or, you know, or divorce. Are there any ways to ease that nine months, you know, to get a head start there? Or what, like, what are the first things to prioritize if when you find yourself lost, all of a sudden thrown into this new world that you didn't understand? Well, what, what do you grab onto first? I think uh, we're talking about what are the advisors, how they help and how they help a woman yeah, grab well, onto I'm, I'm assuming the advisors are going to have to offer guidance. And, yeah. You know, jo- uh, f- first piece of if this woman did not control the money, do not start by explaining her asset allocation. Mm-hmm. That's not, the investments are the last piece of this. Start by understanding, okay, what 
is the cash needed to fund your life? For how long? Is there ever going to be income earning ability? Will there be a desire? Will it be significant? Will it have an impact? Let me first start. Let's first start by wrapping our heads around what is life going to cost you in this transition year and maybe in the transition three to five years. What's life going to cost? Start by helping her ground in something that she does understand, which is what is my lifestyle, right? Starting in that way versus, well, we've got 42% in U.S. equities, and of that, we're going to allocate to the EFI. No, that's last. That investment education, don't lead with it. Lead with, listen, you bet you could do 30,000 feet above. Look, here's what this money's earned last, last three, five, and 10 years, or last one, three, and five. We're going to go there later. Please know that it's safe in all kinds of markets, and you're good. Well, that's later. Let's attend to what's on your mind right now and ask what's on her mind. Write it down and make sure that every single time you talk to this person for the foreseeable future, you are, that's a goal. That's a financial goal. What's on her mind is the number one financial goal that you have to be tracking against. That, that, that brings up a, a very important point that really needs to be hammered home is ask her. Yes. And listen to her. Yeah. By the way, you don't have all the answers yeah. and you really don't have such good questions either. Because you're a little bit, yes, you're nominally a financial professional here, but also you're a little bit in therapist mode here where you need oh. to figure out what's going on. You're 90% therapist mode right now. You're 90. You're 10% technical competency and you're 90% empathy and listening. I think this is something that maybe estate planning attorneys are a little further along in dealing with I would agree. than your average financial advisor, but even them, that's a more recent development with the tax changes and stuff because they used to be hard numbers guys. And now they're yes. realizing that their value proposition in the new paradigm is, Absolutely. okay, well, how can I you know, make things smooth and lifetime guidance and make the family happy? And I think financial advisors need to come to this situation with a little bit more of that and a little bit less of the playbook. Yeah, well, I say, you know, the insurance industry and the insurance profession, you know, insurance professionals who are financial advisors and, you know, claim to be wealth managers, there, there are a lot of them. But who doesn't claim to they, be a wealth manager no doubt. They actually get it right in that they lead with cash flow. That that's how they were trained and bought up. And that's how they learned. You lead with cash flow, right? Backing into what face value does your life insurance need to be? It's a multiple of the income that would be lost. They got that part of the model right. Unfortunately, there was too much of a shift to insurance sales and, you know, not the best kind of reputation to deal with, but they got that piece right. And, and I always say, you know, let's strike the word budget. It feels like diet. What is, what is life going to cost this year? Let's list out all those things. What do you envision? Do you envision wanting to keep this house now? Do you want to keep the second house? Right now, what, what are we tracking for? And, and give her permission to have a decision-free zone for a period of time. If, if you see on paper that what her life costs, there won't be a negative long-term impact to the financial situation if you do nothing for a year, Give her permission to not make big decisions for a year because they will be bad ones until she's ready, mm. right? Don't ever use the word, you're going to need to downsize your house. Let's replace that with, what does right-sizing look like for you? The words matter. Mm. 
the words really matter. Women don't want to feel scared. They don't really want to feel is, scared. That's really what this is about, too, yeah. initially, right? And I think maybe that's why the, the death guys have a little bit of a leg up, because the question is, how am I going to live? Right, that's that By the way, one. everybody wants to know that. Am how I going to be gonna okay? Live? And then, then, then you start worrying about lifestyle. Right. How am I going to live? How am I right. accustomed to? Yeah. But the first question is always, how am I going to live? Right. And, I, and I always say to these women in that first initial couple months, like, don't do anything different right now. I already stress tested. Even if you're temporarily overspending, these next few months aren't going to make a dent in the 40-year plan, as long as you know that it won't, right? Get them out of fear first. I think uh, you also mentioned about the no decision zone. You know, as a as an estate planning attorney by trade, who now creates a lot of content for financial advisors, I'm all about multidisciplinary collaboration. We're assuming that either in a death or as particularly in a divorce, that the advisors are going to end up splitting. They're going to end up on one side. They're maybe his whoever had the most money. We kind of established they're likely his advisors. Well, and and women are likely not going to stay with that advisor exactly. if you called them during the divorce and haven't talked to them in 10 years. At what point is it too soon to start trying to build the team that this person is likely eventually going to need? Is that something you need to immediately? Because women are going to immediately want to hire a new team. So that's not, that's I want to control that team. I want to control that team. Yes. For quality control for the client as well, Mm -hmm. but for preservation of the long-term relationship also. Absolutely. Well, I am a lot of questions here, Michelle. This has been Really fantastic. Um, do you have a, a, you know, any websites or anything like that you want to plug before uh, we head out of you here? Know, uh, my Wife to CFO program is about to nationally launch, but for now I'm at www.sourcefa, like financialadvisor.com. This is great. And I thank uh, Michelle Smith for being such an excellent guest uh, this week. And uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks in the next episode of the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.